Hey, good morning, everybody. Good morning. You guys doing all right? Let's hear it. Let's hear it if you're doing all right. I was so excited to go up. I just started walking up, and then I realized there was a bumper. That was embarrassing. Morning. Um, I, hope, I hope you're doing well. We've noticed that today is just a slow-moving day. I think we're moving in, you know, not to the fall, but school's starting soon. Teachers are going back. Um, kids are going to be going back. And so it's been kind of a, a slow, slow roll. I do want to emphasize the, the help that we need in our kids' programs um, because uh, you guys are having kids, and there's more, and so we need to take care of them. Seems like simple math, but it's pretty important actually because, um, because every generation has to decide for themselves whether or not they're going to follow Jesus Christ. That's not something we can imbue into them and just assume that it's going to happen. And so we need to take care of our kids from the time they're the smallest until the time they're the largest and continue to grow them in Christ. And so we need help doing that to run just an incredible and killer kids program, which is really important to us. So if you feel like God may be calling you to that, if you're not sure, let me just affirm it. He is. Right, he is. He definitely is. And so just go, go to the website, crosswalkvillage.com slash volunteers or something. Talk to somebody and get involved. That's it. That's a long thing. That's it. We're in a series called Contrast. We're in week number four. We're studying the book of Galatians if you're just brand new here. If you are brand new, welcome. It's good to have you here. If you've been here with us, uh, we're going to be in chapter three today. But I was thinking about this word contrast as opposed to some other things. And um, I never really looked up the definition. I just, you know, you know what it is, right? There's, there's like dark and light or something. And so um, I looked it up. It's the state of being strikingly different from something else in juxtaposition or in close association. And I thought, oh, okay, that's really interesting. So here's, here's a contrast, right? You've got this beautiful black, beautiful dark background, and then this beautiful color coming out right here. This is a contrast. This is not a spectrum. A spectrum is when you have one color over here and then it moves over or becomes very dark on one and slowly becomes light. The beauty of contrast is that they, one is coming out of the other one, if you will. And I want you to understand, Galatians is a book of contrasts, not spectrums, not continuums, right? When I, when I teach, I teach a class over at Azusa Pacific University on worldview and faith integration um, to nursing students. And one of the things we talk about a lot is this continuum we have of some people are over here and some people are over here. And there's this long line back and forth and you kind of fall somewhere, whether it comes to worldview or religious beliefs or whatever. The problem is Galatians is not a book of continuums, right? What we find is, um, and, and this happens with Paul a lot, they say there's the gospel versus law debate, right? That these are two opposite ends of the spectrum, and you're either with the law or you're with grace. Now, the problem is that's not a contrast. That would be like a spectrum. And the truth is this, um, the, the opposite of law is lawlessness, the opposite of grace is damnation. They're not on the same line, so don't get confused. One comes out of the other one, right? The contrast that we see is that the law does not give us life and grace does, right? That is the contrast that we see. And we're going to see this come really powerfully out in this particular contrast that we see today, which is the power of the gospel versus the curse of the law. And yes, he does use that word curse. They're in sharp contrast from one another, but they are not on the same line. And Paul starts it by getting personal for a moment, right? Paul decides that he is going to speak 
specifically into the church, and he's going to speak into it corporately. Now, we don't always like it when people get personal. We don't like it when we're called out for certain things. We will do it, though. In fact, we'll go to therapy to change directions individually, which if that's something you need, I highly recommend it. I think it's a really important thing. But where do we go corporately when we want to change directions? Well, we go to prophets, and nobody likes prophets because prophets are cantankerous. Prophets say things you don't want to hear. Prophets are, in the Old Testament, prophets, prophets are just straight up strange. But Paul is about to speak prophetically into the church in Galatia because they're going in the wrong direction. Every once in a while, your pastors have to speak prophetically, corporately, so that we will go in the right directions. We have this tendency to think that prophecy has something to do with the future, Prophecy has something to do with right now. It has to do with the direction and the trajectory that you're headed and whether or not that's the right direction or trajectory. So, as we've said each week, let us begin. However, I was told this week by someone I love dearly, she may have been my daughter, that dot, 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 the ellipses are very passive-aggressive. Which I didn't know. She's like, when you text those, that's passive. People are being passive-aggressive. Dad, are you being passive-aggressive? I was like, no, I don't think so. But just in case any of you thought I was being passive-aggressive by saying, let us begin, let us begin. All right? Are we there? I didn't know. I felt really bad because I end a lot of my sentences when I'm texting with dot, dot, dot. Normally it's because I just don't know what else to say. So I'm like, oh, I guess I got to keep talking to you. Anyway, um... So it begins like this, and he, he, he starts off pretty powerfully. He says, oh, foolish Galatians. But I don't think he said it, oh, foolish Galatians. Like he's angry, right? He's upset. He's kind of working on it now. He's written two chapters, and you know Paul wasn't writing chapters. Paul was just writing. We broke them into chapters. Um, Paul was just writing, and finally he's exasperated. He's frustrated, and he goes, ah, oh, foolish Galatians. And then he thinks, you know, there's no way these people in, in any way, shape, or form could have gotten to this point without being under a curse. So he says, cast an evil spell on you. For the meaning of Jesus Christ's death was made clear to you as if you had seen a picture of his death on a cross. Paul cannot believe it. He cannot believe that they are willing to step away so quickly from the supremacy of Christ in their life and in the way that they express the gospel. He just can't understand it. In fact, he thinks somebody else must have cursed them. That's how ridiculous it was for him. Because, you see, Paul knew the grace of God. He knew what freedom comes in Christ. And because he knew that, he couldn't imagine anyone wanting to walk away from it. He couldn't imagine anyone wanting to make something else the focus of their life. In fact, this phenomenal theologian who's got to be English because his name is Witherington, which is maybe the best English name I've ever heard, Witherington, he says this, the universe of Paul's thought revolved around the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Right? His Christology was most important to Christ. And what I mean by Christology is what you think about Jesus. When you study Jesus, right, it's the study of Jesus, but you have to figure out your Christology before any of the rest of this makes sense. And that's something that you have to continue to do because it helps you to continue to focus on Christ. You see, too often people have this tendency to think that, well, we'll put a church together maybe and we'll, we'll figure out what we're supposed to do and what we're supposed to be, that's wrong. Your job as a Christian, if that's the name you're calling yourself, is to have a clear understanding of your Christology and what place Jesus holds in your theology. You have to get your Christology right before you can move on. 
And this is the way it works. It works like this. You have to get your Christology right, and your Christology informs your missiology or what God is calling you to do, how you connect with the mission of God in your life. Right? So you don't really know what to do until you know who Christ is. Once you know who Christ is, that informs your missiology and what it is that you're called to do. And then and only then can you start a church. That's where your ecclesiology comes out, because your missiology will inform your ecclesiology and how you gather together to worship, which is really important. And over, over my career, I've had people who get frustrated that I preach about Christ so much. I'm not going to lie. They're like, you know, you're, you preach a lot of milk. When are you going to get to the meat? And I'm like, well, what's the meat? And everybody has a different thing, right? Everyone's like, when are you going to talk about end times? I talk about end times in Jesus. When are you going to talk about the Sabbath? I talk about Sabbath in Jesus. When are you going to talk about creation? I talk about creation in Jesus. I can't find anything in Scripture where Jesus is not present. And so I'm not moving on from that because that is the meat and the milk. It is everything that we are supposed to be as Christians. And if we don't understand that, we have a tendency to get distracted. So then Paul says this. Let me ask you one question. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by obeying the law of Moses? Of course not. You received the Spirit because you believed in the message. You heard about Christ. So there's six questions that are coming up. And Paul's just going to throw them out to the church in Galatia. But they're all rhetorical questions, right? You, you don't need to answer them. Because if you answer them any way different than Paul answered them, he, he, he's not having it. And Paul just often didn't have it, right? And it's interesting. It's interesting because he talks about when did you receive the Holy Spirit? And this is not something that we traditionally as Seventh-day Adventists have talked a lot about. Because we, gave, we, we allowed the Holy Spirit to come on one person, and then we're pretty sure it's not going to come on anyone else until Jesus comes again. Right? And if you know who I'm talking about, you know who I'm talking about. That's great. You receive the Holy Spirit. But we also receive the Holy Spirit as is seen all over the book of Acts. Right? You receive the Holy Spirit when... Couple things. One, you accept Christ. Now, we infer that you accept the Holy Spirit or that you receive the Holy Spirit through baptism. But there's, a, there's nothing wrong with that. But the issue is this in the book of Acts, every time someone receives the Holy Spirit, it's experiential, not just inferential. That means you experience the Holy Spirit. And like you may have experienced the Holy Spirit in lots of different ways, whether it's through, through worship where you just you know God is there, right? You, you get those goosebumps and you're like, something's happening. When you feel a sense of community that goes beyond just the group of people in the room for some reason, right? In Acts, it is always, often if not always, experiential. And, one, and a few things happen, by the way. When you receive the Holy Spirit... One thing is that you become incredibly confident in the gospel. And what I mean by that is that you're no longer afraid to share the gospel with people. You're no longer afraid to tell people how good God is and how much he's done for you in your life. That's the Holy Spirit working in you. If you sense a hesitation and you're not really sure whether or not you want to give the gospel to someone else, especially in those times when it's like, it's like they ask, right? And every once in a while that happens in our life. Somebody finally just says, what do you believe that makes you the way you are? right? That, that's a moment to be confident in the gospel. And when we receive the Holy Spirit, we become more confident knowing that the gospel does not disappoint, as it says in Romans. Knowing that the gospel is true and real, and it's what we center our lives around. 
right? Acts 1.8 says that you will receive power. But you know what? In 1 Corinthians 12.3, it actually says that you can have confidence in your witness because the Holy Spirit gives power and enables the church to witness. Now, what was going on in Acts 1.8 is that the the disciples were actually in Samaria and they were nervous to give the gospel. And it's told them that they will be given power to give the gospel and they will be given power in their witness. Now, this is what I want you all to understand. Every single one of you has an incredibly powerful witness to transform someone into a believer of Jesus Christ. Every single one of you. And you may be like, nah, I've sat through those sermons. Like, I've sat through those sermons where somebody gives this powerful witness to how God has transformed their life. Well, that's great. But God transformed your life too, or you wouldn't be standing here or sitting here. I'm standing, you're sitting. Right? You wouldn't be sitting here if God hadn't done something for you because you would find it worthless. At some point, your heart was convicted that you needed to be a follower of Christ. And there was a transformation that happened. And that witness, the, the story that you have of that transformation is incredibly powerful. And when you receive the Holy Spirit, you are willing to give that witness. And when you don't, you actually harm the kingdom of God because you're not willing to tell someone what God has done for you. And the language that we have is that we're actually baptized in the Spirit. This terminology is important, right? And I think worship is one of those moments where it happens. But study, community, man, when we're together in prayer, we experience the Holy Spirit. But I got to tell you, in verse 2, they said one thing that's important. They said they heard the gospel. Their experience with the gospel came from somewhere, like all of ours does. For them in the church in Galatia, the churches in Galatia, it came from Paul when he preached. And this is important in that we need to be able to hear the gospel again and again, right? Whether it's through preaching, whether it's through singing, whether it's through reading, whether it's through study, whether it's through prayer, whether it's through conversation, we have to be prepared to hear the gospel. And let me tell you, if you're getting tired of hearing the gospel, you haven't figured it out yet. You haven't heard it yet. It hasn't touched your heart yet. Because these are not words that get old. These are words that convict and change when we understand what it is that Jesus has really done. And this is why Paul is so incredulous that nobody could walk away from that. And he actually says it in verse 3. He says, how foolish can you be? After starting your new lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? The Spirit is given. Grace is given. And then we try to do these things that somehow diminish the gift. There's a, there's a story of an explanation of what grace is. And maybe it'll make sense to you. There was this man, he needed surgery, couldn't afford it. And uh, an anonymous benefactor came and paid for the surgery, quarter of a million dollars, something like that. There's no way this guy could have paid for it. Well, afterwards, he's healing up. He's living. It's great. You know, he's, he's you know, alive, so he's pretty happy about it. And he, he finds out who his benefactor is. And so he goes to see this person, and he knocks on the door of this benefactor's house. You think just to thank him, right? The benefactor opens the door, and he hands him a $20 bill, and he goes, thanks, I just want to do my part. That diminishes the gift. First of all, $20 is not going to... It's not going to pay it back. Like, it's silly, right? It's like, it's like when, you're, when your kid's little and, and you say something about money and they go, Dad, I've got some money, and they bring you like four cents. And you're like, that is so sweet. Thanks, buddy. And you don't make that face when they're there, I hope. I didn't buy the third one. But um, the, the, thing is, the thing is, we diminish 
what Jesus did on the cross, when we try to become perfect by our own human effort, as he says. So suppose the question is, is your effort more powerful than Christ's effort? And maybe that's too harsh, right? But you see, what was lacking from their lives was the spirit. How were they fooled? They, they had somehow lost confidence in the gospel, and we do that all the time. They lost confidence in their witness, and we do that all the time. They lost their baptism in the Holy Spirit, and we do that all the time. And how does that happen to us? Very simply, by simply focusing on something other than Jesus. Remember the story of Peter in the boat? You know, it wasn't necessary that, it wasn't necessary that he focused in, on Jesus when he was in the boat, but when he stepped outside, that's the only thing he should have focused on. But we get distracted really easy. And I want to remind you of something when it comes to your witness. Trying to explain Christianity is very different than trying to explain Christ. Right? And we can get unfocused off of Christ if we spend our time trying to explain Christianity, if we spend our time trying to explain even SDAism. When somebody says, hey, why do you believe what you do? I said, let me tell you about Jesus first. Let me tell you about the whole reason I do any of this. Yeah, yeah, but I want to know about your church. Let me tell you about my church in a bit. What I want to tell you about is I want to tell you about Jesus. It's the whole reason for the church. Right? The rest is just logistics, where you're going to go, when you're going to go. The thing that's important is Jesus. So spend your time explaining Christ. Don't spend your time explaining Christianity because it's a bit of a mess. Because people, right? We make things a mess. He says, man, have, have you experienced so much for nothing? Surely it was not in vain, was it? This is exasperation. He's sad. Was this all a worthless exercise, what I taught you? What was all of this in aid of? In fact, some translations say, did you suffer this for nothing? Did you do all this work for not? Paul ramps up again. I ask you again. Does God give you the Holy Spirit and work miracles among you because you obey the law? Of course not. It's because you believe the message you heard about Christ. He's reiterating it. And he's moving the conversation to justification, how you're made right with God. And he decides he's going to do it in a way that the Jewish Christians would have understood. Not only understood, but been very familiar with. And he's going to reframe something that's very near and dear to their hearts. And I got to tell you, when somebody takes something that you know really well and re-explains it to you in a way that you haven't heard it before, your first thought is incredulity. And then your second thought is, wait a second, if that's true, it changes everything. That's the kind of conversation Paul was trying to have with them. So he goes back in history and he says this, in the same way, Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. Romans speaks to this a lot. What he's doing is he's making a historic argument, capturing the scripture back for Jesus. Paul talks 19 different times in his writings about Abraham. Why? Let me tell you why. I'll give you the academic explanation. I think you'll like this. Um, it says this. In the post-exilic period, the Pentateuchal patriarchs became the focus of extensive study and speculation. In a time of national conflict and identity crisis, the Jewish people sought an answer to the question, what does it mean to be in a covenant with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? I do this reading so you don't have to. Just so you know. Right? 
what was happening, and this is true, in the post-exilic, so when they came back from Babylon, intertestamental period, right, when there was none of the scriptures being written, rabbis stood up and began to exegete their ancient scriptures to figure out, to, to do the work that I do, right? They were, they were trying to figure out what it all meant. And so they were going back to Abraham, and they were really interested in Abraham because he was a patriarch, right? He was the father of the Jewish nation. And, and so they had exegeted a certain way. Paul does the exact same thing, and he says this, the real children of Abraham then are those who put their faith in God. Boom. That's a grenade. And sometimes the simplest phrases are the most powerful because this lets in the Gentiles by faith. It gives them status by adoption. And it gives them right relationship by God. They didn't have that before. And that was the argument that was going on in the church in Galatia. What was going on is you're not as good as us, but if you become like us, you'll be good like us. Sound familiar? Every group that thought they're the chosen one ever since. We've all said the same thing. And Paul goes, actually, you misread Abraham because Abraham was made right with God by faith, not circumcision. That's the implication. He doesn't say it. And I was told the other day I said circumcision too many times in a sermon. <laughs> but that's not my fault. That's Paul's fault, just to be clear. Anyway, he was made right with God because he had faith. Right? So he continues on. He says, listen, what's more? The scriptures looked forward to this time when God would declare the Gentiles. So he's saying, what he's actually saying is, just so you know, they wrote it in a way that you would understand that they were excited about the fact that Gentiles would be declared righteous because of their faith. God proclaims this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. He said, you missed a big part of this. The, the, the sands of the sea, the stars in the sky, they're not just coming from Israel because they already exist. And all these people need to do is know about how much God loves them. So all, and he's going to just hammer it home now. So all who put their faith in Christ share the same blessing, share the same blessing that Abraham received because of his faith. Now, if, if the first one was a grenade, this is a rocket launcher into their arguments, right? Paul is just dropping bombs left and right, making his point. You are made right with God because of the faith you have in Christ, not the things that you do. And friends, this is the freedom that Paul talks about. Paul talks about this being freedom, that you are no longer slaves to the things that the law would have you do. Now you are free to live your life in the abundance of God. You don't have to worry about your sin anymore because God is taking care of your sin. Right? And if you're like me, the first thing you do is go, wait a second. Go easy, man. You just said your sin doesn't matter anymore. But how are we supposed to be, like, how are we supposed to sin less if you're telling me that my sin doesn't matter anymore? Well, let me explain to you what I think. When you are freed from the incredible burden of not sinning, you can live your life in freedom. And let me tell you what follows freedom. Compassion. 
mercy, justice, grace. These are the things that you begin, that begin to identify you. This is the life that you begin to live, right? How, how low level is it to just think I'm going to live a life where I don't sin? That is so bottom feeder. What about if I live a life of compassion, a life of mercy, a life of justice, a life of love, a life of grace, a life of caring for people, a life that changes the way people think about their situation in life, a life of acceptance and inclusion? What if we live lives like that? Do you want to get to the end and go, well, I didn't sin as much as I could have? But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scriptures say, and this is Paul, I like what Paul does here. He says, the scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in the book of the law. What Paul is essentially saying is, listen, you want to live by the law? That's what you want to go back to? Okay but you better be pretty good at it because that's how you're going to be judged. Is that what you really want? Because if that's what you want, go ahead. But he couldn't imagine anyone would choose that because why would anyone choose that kind of judgment on themselves when they have been declared free, when they have been declared sinless, when they have been declared righteous by the righteousness of God, by the judge who actually judges them. He's the one who's declaring them righteous. And they go, that is wonderful. That's amazing. But maybe not. Maybe we could go under this other system where I'm a little bit more in control. I suppose if you want to do that, you can. But again, you better be pretty good at it. Paul doesn't even stop here. I stopped here. Paul doesn't even stop here. He just keeps writing. He says, so it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say it is through faith that a righteous person has life through faith. And by the way, that righteous person is only righteous because God made him righteous and imbued his righteousness into them. Do you understand how all-inclusive and pervasive this grace is that we've been given? I hope you understand. And then he clarifies and he says, listen, this, this, way, this way of life is very different from the way of law which says it is through obeying the law that a person has life. He shows the contrast. He goes, I get it. This is different. It's hard for you to take. It's hard for you to keep. Right? Everything in your body says, no, that can't be right. It can't be that simple. It can't be that good. God can't give us that much grace. We can't live in that much freedom. There's no way that can be true, right? If, those, if that's a narrative you have going on in your head, let me explain this to you the way Paul would. It absolutely is. It is absolutely that good. It is absolutely that simple. It is absolutely that powerful, all pervasive and inclusive. You can be saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. And then he says it. But Christ rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law when he was hung on that cross. He took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoings. For it is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Again, this is not the opposite end of the continuum. This is salvation. This is him taking our punishment and our sins for us. Through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham. 
so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. And that is us, friends, because we're not Jewish Christians. The vast majority of us didn't come from a Jewish tradition. We came from a Gentile tradition, right? We are, are different than that. We have been let in. We've been grafted on the tree, as the scriptures say. We are blessed by the same blessing that was given to Abraham. That's why we read the Old Testament, to recognize how good and great the covenants of God were with his people. And we recognize that those covenants are still as true as they were back then. They are still true today, coming to us through the grace of Jesus Christ. So I guess this, think about your life and think about when you received the Holy Spirit, when you knew he was clear and present in your life and how that created a confidence in the gospel that may have slipped since then. And a confidence in your witness that the world needs a witness to what God and Christ has done in your life. And lastly, I wanna leave you with this. And it's simple. You can live with confidence in the gospel. If you've ever wondered if you're foolish to be a believer, some people will think that. That's okay, let them think that. But the truth is an eternal truth that we've accepted into our lives. A truth that transcends human ideas and human thought. It doesn't mean we still don't think about reason. It doesn't mean we still don't listen to science. Of course we do those things. But this truth that we hold on to, it's something more. And scripture says that it will not disappoint. And that's something that I think is worth putting our faith in, putting our lives in, so that we can experience not just survival, not just getting to the end and go, look, you know, I managed my sin quite well. But we can come to the end and be like, Lord, thanks for being with me the whole time. Thanks for, thanks for showing me a life that's in a different, it's a different kind of abundance than I expected. A life that changed not just me, but the people around me. And I had community like I would never have had because of you. And I experienced things that I never thought I would experience because of the filling of the Holy Spirit. And I was able to share what it is that you've done. Not because I was worried about getting it all right or getting myself all right, but because I trusted in you. That's what faith is. Faith is trusting enough to let go of all that stuff you want to manage and letting God truly be in control. Let's bow our heads. God of grace, we're just grateful. You know, we read these words of Paul, who I can tell is just innervated and just excited about this conversation because this is the only conversation he wants to have. It's the only conversation he wants to give. It's the only thing he wants them to know. Lord, redirect us when we're headed the wrong direction. Put those prophetic voices in our lives that, that, that change us. Lord, remind us of how incredible your grace is. And let us live in that space. Let us focus laser-like on you, what you've done for us on the cross, the power that was given to overcome the grave. And Lord, as we sing this final song, with you, for you and to you. Accept our worship and fill us with the Holy Spirit. In your name I pray. Amen.
Stand and worship with us one more time.